1: Now what is executive functioning and what does it have to do with our children's success in school and in life? My next guest explains that executive function is what it takes to get stuff done, such as homework, writing a paper, or cleaning a room. In other words, it's the ability to execute complex tasks and see that those tasks go all the way through to completion. Some kids have a knack for organizational tasks, scheduling, pacing themselves, while others struggle. If your child struggles with school-related tasks like homework, staying focused on a project until it's completed, organizational skills, time management, or perhaps became avoidant or resistant, forgetful, or overwhelmed when it comes to getting school-related tasks completed, they probably struggle with executive function. So what can we do? How can we help our kids who struggle in this area? And what do we want to avoid doing so we don't make things worse? My next guest has these answers and more. Seth Perler helps students who struggle with school, homework, grades, resistance, overwhelm, motivation, underachievement, organization, focus, study skills, and time management. He helps complicated, misunderstood, outside-of-the-box neurodiverse learners turn it around in a baffling system so that they can launch a successful future His blog, SethPerler.com, gives game-changing answers in a sea of misguided educational fluff. Traditional academic interventions don't often get to the root of a child's problems, and they're often based on misinformation or outdated paradigms. Consequently, your child's patterns get worse each year, leading to pervasive difficulties transitioning into adulthood. Parents often feel helpless watching their child drown in school as they spin their wheels trying to help. Parents are desperate for tools that are practical and that account for a child's unique needs. It's all about executive function, which is Seth's specialty. I am so thrilled to have you on the show, so welcome Seth Perler to How to Talk to Kids About Anything.
0: Hey, Dr. Robbins, great to be here with you. Thank you so much.
1: I'm thrilled to have you. I've been watching you on YouTube. I've been reading what you've written in articles. But before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't yet seen your videos or read your blog or listened to you speak, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested, so passionate about executive functioning and those kids who struggle in this area?
0: Sure. First of all, I want to say thank you, Dr. Robin, for how you show up in the world and for choosing to do the work that you do and choosing to run a podcast. I know a lot of work goes into Mm. creating this and a lot of behind the scenes stuff that people don't know about. And I just really appreciate that you take the time to serve humanity in this way. So I just wanted to say, thank you.
1: Thank you for that. That is ultra kind, and I will take that compliment and keep it in yeah. my pocket for rainy days. Thank you.
0: Good. Receive that. We need you. Um, and what gets me up in the morning was your was part of the question. What was the other part of the question? What
1: gets you up in the morning and what got you so passionate and interested in this mm. particular area?
0: Ah. <sighs> what gets me up in the morning? um, I live here in Boulder, Colorado, and it's a beautiful spring day, and what gets me up a lot of times is uh, nature and, honestly, the birds outside and just ready to hit a new day, Mm. but really more purpose-wise is what gets me up is the people in my life that I care about and also the work that I do that I care about. So I'm very driven by my work, by helping kids who are struggling, and what motivates me to do the work that I do. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because I was that kid. Mm -hmm. I was the kid who struggled in school. Um, Literally, my progress reports starting in first grade started saying things like, uh, does not pay attention, daydreams, needs to try harder, and all of these messages that I hear my students, (laughs) even Mm -hmm. high school and college students nowadays, getting the same messages. Um, So, I struggled a lot, and um, I don't like to see other human beings struggle. and, and I like to be able to uh, help students who are going through this figure out how to navigate it in a way where they can they can get through this stuff with m- much more effectively. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I'm so passionate about it. Is mm-hmm. because there's something inside me that that sort of, for lack of a better term, that feels their pain, that sees what these kids are going through, and that's very driven to help them solve problems. And that's where the passion comes from. I don't want to see them suffer when I know that they have strengths and talents and gifts and passions and interests and things that can be developed so that they can really have a fantastic quality of life rather than sort of fall through the the cracks and struggle.
1: I, I loved your article talking about – who you were and how you came into this work and, and why you're so passionate. And I certainly related to it in a lot of ways. My, both of my children, we adopted both of my children. And I know that you were adopted by a great yeah. family. And um, we adopted both of my children and my children uh, struggle in this in these areas as well. And we're working with them and trying to get all the help that they need in order for them to thrive. Both are very bright. And I loved hearing how great you've done, you know, knowing, uh, that you came from sort of a similar background. And I was like, oh, this is so perfect. And I know that you say that it's vital that parents and teachers understand executive functioning. And you, you talk about why this is important but why don't we already know about it, and, and why is it so important? And then we can get into what we really need to know. So why is it important, and why, do we, why don't we already know about executive functioning? It feels like it should, <laughs> it should be like a thing, like thing, yes. something kids know. Yes,
0: yes and that, that I feel like is part of my life's work, is to make it a thing. Yes, it right. It be something where we're able to toss around the words executive function when we need to but not in a shallow way in a way where it's it's a common knowledge Thing that we really have a decent understanding of. Not, not not perfect, but we should all know about it. And why it's not a thing already, I don't know, but I can give you a couple of guesses. One reason I don't think it's a thing already is because most of, or a lot of the experts, a lot if you research executive function right now, and you go to Google and, and you were to uh, cut and paste 20 definitions of executive function onto a document and read them, they are very challenging to understand. Yes. They're written in very clinical speak. Okay. Clinical speak has its place, but when you're dealing with parents and teachers who are not familiar with the concept, it needs to be put into plain English. So I think that that's part of the reason is that the experts who are very important in the field um, uh, are speaking uh, with with language that is very difficult to digest. So I think people. D- they, and I guess, there's also that people don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So when they hear that speak, it's really hard to connect to, um, and to understand how deep, how deeply executive function affects these kids. So that's one reason. Another reason that I think. Um, that it's not a thing yet is that um, the quote system, so to speak, um, which has a lot of great teachers, a lot of great people, a lot of people who have dedicated their lives to serving kids, but the system itself it doesn't want things to change unless um, unless there's a benefit to sort of the the puppeteers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, and if we really look at how do we serve – so the system, you know, uh, textbooks, curriculum manufacturers, testing companies, they're really sort of tailored to sort of the middle of the bell curve. And kids who struggle with executive function or kids that are 2E who are gifted and talented and struggle,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, th- these kids are outliers. And that's not who it's built for. And if you look at what's been happening with funding and, and such, we, we cut everything that we can that doesn't support – um those uh, sort of the 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 middle <laughs> uh, we we don't want to pay uh for really meeting the needs of kids who really have more needs so if we go down this rabbit hole it really exposes sort of these these needs that a lot of kids have mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to blame them and say oh these kids just don't try they're just not They're, they're just not disciplined. They're just not motivated enough, you know, and and to sort of put it on them. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my, um, yeah, yeah. Little rant on why (laughs) uh, why it's not a thing yet. Now, why it's so important is. is, Did you want to? Yeah, go on in. Yeah. uh, Okay, and why it's so important to know is because this is no joke. Life is not a dress rehearsal. This is not a game. These are real human beings' lives, and we have an opportunity to educate these kids. And to educate them does not necessarily mean go to school. School and education should be synonymous, but the education, there are many things that we do to educate kids. So to educate ki- a kid, a child, means to raise them, to be able to have what they need to, to have a great life. I do not want my students to have a mediocre life or I certainly don't want them to have a bad life. I don't want them to struggle their whole life. Um, I forget the statistic, but some something like more than half of Americans don't have anything safe for retirement. I mean, there are real serious consequences in life when we can't execute. And kids who struggle with executive function have really are going to have more struggles with um, having a great life. So. If a child struggles with execution, with or which means with what you said before in the introduction, which was fantastic by the way. Oh, thank your you. Homework. Um, but if they struggle to do the things that need to get done to accomplish their goals, they're gonna struggle with a lot of things in life. So it's so important to understand executive function so that we can give kids so that we can plant seeds to give them what they need to be able to build a happy, healthy, successful future life. But to me, it's also really important to make sure that their life now is a quality life, too. And I see so, I I see the plate that kids have of stuff that has to be done is piled so high it seems insurmountable. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) But I want
0: them to have a really high quality life now where we're not overwhelming them, we're guiding them through education so that we can plant the seeds that they need to make to build a great future.
1: So I love this whole idea of planting the seeds. And I would want to know because I know it's there's a million things, but what would be three things that we really need to know right now about executive functioning that might help our kids now?
0: Well, gosh, there's so many ways to look at that question. I know, right? Now, right?
1: I mean, I could we could go into every detail, but I'm like, it's Maybe the end
0: of the school year, so we can talk about it as it relates to the end of the school year, but it's also going to be summer right around the corner. So you could look at it from that way, too, and then we're going to start the school year up again. So I'll get pretty concrete on this one. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, three things that you need to know about executive function. Uh, first of all, executive function is a lot of things. You will see some experts who say executive function is three things. It's five things. It's eight things. Um, and when I'm doing presentations with families or educators, I have about 20 different things that I list. Um, and it's on my website in the executive function article. There's um, a document that, that you can check out that breaks a lot of it down. But essentially, there are a lot – You, if you're going to help a kid with executive function, it's not – it's not a simple, easy, quick fix process. Mm-hmm. You don't just send them to someone or send them to me for a couple of weeks and send them to an executive function coach or take some program or whatever, and then things just turn around. So, I want people to know that this is going to take time. This has to do with real brain development. There are a lot of things, like I said, for me, about 20 concepts that I kind of cover, but there are a lot of angles that have to be addressed in order to work with, with the problems that these kids are facing. So that's, first of all, that it's not quick and easy. Right. Be patient. Um, don't expect your kid to just turn around tomorrow or turn around in a month or have, you know, a great talk with them about executive function. Everything changes. No, we have to help these kids build new systems, new strategies, new mindsets, um, workarounds, and so forth to help. Mm-hmm. So. That's the first thing. Second thing is is it has to be attacked, like I said, from many different angles. And I guess the second thing that could help is to get to know what those 20 or so things are. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through all of them. You mentioned them at the beginning. But um, those things that if you want to execute, if you want to get from point A to point B, let's say you're writing a paper. Let's say you're cleaning out the garage for the summer. You have a complicated project. Um, Both of those are complicated projects, cleaning out the garage or writing a big essay. Those are two very complicated things, for example. You want to get from point A to point B. Point A is, hey, I have this goal to get this done. Point B is it's done not part done. It's not 99% done. It's not 90% done. It's not half done. It's done. It's completed. Now for a student, completion means it's been turned in, mm. not it's been done. And I think a lot of kids feel like, okay, when it, when it's done, it's done, but no, it needs to be turned in. And that's something a lot of
1: kids- And their name, to name to. needs to be on it.
0: And their name needs to be on it. That is.
1: I'm like, I tell yep. my son, I'm like, you'd finish this. If you turn this in like this, somebody else might get credit for your great work.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. So the second thing is to know all of these different angles. So in order to get from A to B, you have to understand these 20 things, which would be like, in order to get from A to B, they have to have the skill of planning. They don't just have to use a planner or a calendar or an agenda they have to develop the skill of planning mm. it's not just handing them a planner and we see kids with strong executive function figure out the skill and it almost seems like they they just it almost seems like it's just because they care more mm-hmm. you know but they have been building the skill of planning for many years and, and they just are not conscious of it um, but they've built the skill these kids don't have the skill of planning so that has to be de- developed they don't and that's not just using the calendar that's short term planning daily planning long term plan there's a lo- it's, it's planning is a massive skill mm-hmm. they have to develop the skills of organization organizing their backpacks organizing their papers their folders their inbox their online Google Docs folders, their um, bedrooms, their drawers—they they have to develop these skill of organization. Um, so there's there's planning, there's organization, there's time management, there's prioritization. They have to develop the skills to be able to prioritize what they need to instead of prioritizing video games or or mm-hmm. other things that might be more interesting to them. So these are skills. So these twenty things I just mentioned, like three or four, mm-hmm. um, but but. So what the second tip I would say is you need to have a grasp of what the components, you have to attack it from multiple angles, what are those angles? And again, that article that I have breaks it down in a digestible way. And uh, a number three thing about executive function that I think people should know right now is is the um, the story, and maybe we'll get more into this later. Let me know if you want to. But is the story and the narrative that's based on misunderstanding yes, that we'll be getting
1: into that absolutely? Shame? Okay, yes. so I won't
0: go into that right now. Yeah. But it's the third one is to understand how we inadvertently shame kids. Yes.
1: Yeah. We, well, we will definitely protect. get into that um, I think that's a, such an important concept and you know that's sort of in the, the 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 way that we help and the mistakes that we make in in trying to help before we get into all of that I know that many parents and teachers I mean I think this is what people are thinking while they're listening to this you know they talk about some kids doing really well in school these are the quote unquote students and some people just not doing as well and feeling like this is sort of the way of the world. So how do we know if the reason why our children are not doing well in school is about executive functioning problems? In other words, for those parents or teachers who are listening right now, and I know some of this, some of them have this question, how do we know if a specific child struggles with executive functioning and it's not something else, like laziness or something else? I don't know, Mm -hmm. something else that they might be thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is that if if you are a parent or a teacher or coach or anybody who's working with kids and you're asking that question, mm-hmm. that's probably a pretty good indicator that they're struggling with executive function. <laughs> there you go. So... And um, yeah, I mean, if they're struggling with with remembering, with being responsible, with uh, follow through, with self starting, with procrastination, with motivation, with even knowing what's for homework, with how, with mm-hmm. you know, um, with struggling with remembering details, and they seem clueless about what's going on or what needs to be done or um, what's being asked, or if they seem overwhelmed, uh, it, again, it's multiple angles. But like, if if they're struggling to execute. If they're, and it, how, how you phrased it earlier at the beginning of the conversation, if they're struggling to get things done that need to be done. Okay. And the way that I say it, if they're struggling to get things done that need to be done, that are in their own long-term best interest. Um, so because a lot of times they can get things done that are complicated, but that they're interested in. Right. But if they're really struggling in your and I guess another thing way that you would know that they're struggling with executive function is if you have that that feeling in the pit of your stomach where you're going, oh, no, mm-hmm. is my kid going to be OK? Are mm-hmm. they going to figure it out? Are they going to be living in my basement until they're yeah. like forty years old playing video games? And um, are, are they really going to you know, if you're really wondering, oh, my gosh, are they really going to struggle to to. To have the quality of life that I want for them, then they probably are struggling with executive function. Now, here's the thing: there's the term. You might be better at helping me. I've been wondering about this lately too. There's the term uh, executive function disorder. There's ADHD. There's um, autism or ASD, Asperger's. Uh, there's dyslexia, dyscalculate. There's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sensory integration disorder. There's all of these labels, right? And labels have their place. But when I started figuring out that all these kids, regardless of the label, who struggle with execution, struggle with executive function, that helped me to really tie it together in my mind and be like, okay, the labels have their place. But we cannot just assume that – we cannot just read into the label and say, oh, well, this kid has this profile and, and make assumptions about what that means. It's, it's more complicated than that. But I have a question for you. So there's the term executive function disorder. And I don't believe it's in the DSM. So does that mean that – um, ADHD can be an executive function disorder, uh, autism can be an executive function disorder in the areas that they struggle to execute, um, and other things can, uh, trauma, for example, can interfere with execution. Is is, is that?
1: I mean, I think what we, we need to realize is that all of these things are not just separate things, and that's what I think you're hitting on. These are, these are, are Uh, challenges that kids have that, that are tied in with each other in so many ways. That's why we wind up having kids who have multiple challenges. They have ADHD and anxiety and something, you know, something else. And I think you're absolutely right that executive functioning is one of the areas that a lot of children are challenged with when they have these different diagnoses. It's because it's a brain thing. It has nothing to do with their character. It has nothing to do with who they are as a person. Um, It doesn't even have to do with necessarily their capabilities. It has to do with... Some, something related to their brains, and as we, you've, you've talked about many times about the prefrontal cortex, it has to do with the amygdala. It has, it's all of these different parts. So when you're talking about these kids and when educators are talking about and parents are talking about, well, no, my kid has this, not that. My kid has this, that, not that. It's actually more in line with a continuum and more in line with how they, mm. these things sort of overlap then all, all these separate yeah. separate things we're talking about yeah yeah so executive functioning is absolutely an area where each you know that links a lot of these different diagnoses and that's why we see so many commonalities between these kids yeah yeah.
0: And that's why my approach to it really is looking at, you know, where 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 are the breakdowns in execution and what can we do about those? So because those are the practical things that families can do to support their kids so that they can again get the things done so that no matter what the labels if there even are any that they can have tools to to uh, to deal with the, where the problems lie in everyday life.
1: So like if if a if a parent or an educator is listening to this right now. And let's use one of the examples that you brought up earlier. So a child is supposed to clean out the garage and they're struggling with execution. What are some of the skills that you would want that child to work on or how would we even help them work on those skills so that they can execute that job from point A to point B?
0: Awesome question. First of all, I'm going to switch it from garage to closet. Please do. (laughs) Please do.
1: It's just whatever you just said. For closet. Perfect. Yeah.
0: The parents will be doing the garage and the kid will be doing their closet or their dresser or their bookshelf or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. So, Awesome question. So parents, teachers, if you're having a kid that's struggling with this, the number one, to me, the number one first thing that comes into my mind in terms of getting them to uh, start to take action to, to so basically what, what happens is, is that there's this thing called resistance, and these kids are resistant to doing what needs to be done. And so me being an executive function coach, I'm helping them get the skills to execute, but I'm also helping them deal with the resistance. Resistance looks like procrastination. It looks like lack of motivation, it looks like not trying. That's resistance. It looks like not starting. Um, so the first thing to do if you really want to help a kid is not to force them is not to make them is not to yell at them is not to shame them is not to any of this stuff, but is to build healthy, secure attached relate relationship with the kid. whether you're a teacher or a parent or a friend or a mentor or whatever, you have to build the relationship. There has to be trust there. They have to, um they have to know that you care about them and like them. And a lot of times these kids feel like they're just being barked at and just being told what to do. And they're not having that sense of healthy, secure attachment with the person. In other words, um, with attachment, and I'd love to hear what you think about this too, but in other words with attachment, these kids don't feel seen by you or heard by you or understood or known or valued, or like you're not taking the time to really Um, hear what they're saying or where they're coming from or to get them. Mm -hmm. Now, once these kids feel seen... And this is probably the most important thing in my practice is to, for me to build the relationship with the kid and help them know that I am a safe person for them to be able to share uh, their fears, th- their frustrations, uh, their resistance, um, to be able to openly be able to tell me what their excuses are and, and where all this resistance is coming from. They have to feel safe with me in order to do that. So the first thing to me, if we want to get them to do – so like I said before, it's not quick and easy. Like if we want them to overhaul their closet this year and get rid of a million old toys and old books and old clothes and stuff like that, like we have to really have the relationship where they're going to let us help them, Mm. okay? So, and then that ties directly in to two concepts, buy-in and ownership. So when there is that trust in that relationship, then we can get some buy-in and ownership. So then the next step is, okay, they need to do this. We know that it's like overflowing and there's just so much <laughs> old junk in there and old, even maybe old sandwiches or no who the heck knows what's in that closet, um, but it has to be done. And we know that it has to be done this summer, let's say. So then how do we get buy-in and ownership? Well, if we have the trust, then we. We, we don't want to tell them you need to do this, but we want to get them like I always want to get my students to tell me, hey. You know, do you want to work on your backpack today? And I want them to be telling me, yeah, I want to get this done. Yes, I want to to feel more in control of this. Yes, I want to feel less stressed. I want to feel more free. I want to not feel so overwhelmed. Like, I need that Mm. buy-in. And then I want to, the ownership and buy-in are very related, but the ownership is more like, well, how should we do this? Instead of me telling them, adults so often tell kids what they need to do. And and instead of me telling them what they, they need to do, I want them to take ownership. And they, I want them to tell me what needs to be done. Now, I'm going to guide them in this process. But um, I want them to feel like it's their idea, like they want to do this for themselves. So now we've got relationship where they feel secure. We've got some buy-in and ownership where they're even contemplating this. Now, notice, Dr. Robin, that I haven't even said a thing about doing any action with <laughs> yes. the closet yet. yes. And this is, I think, what is so frustrating for adults because they know this needs to be done. You're going to have consequences if you don't learn how to do whatever these things are. And you just need to get it done. and And there's a lot of impatience with adults because they're legitimately scared for mm-hmm, for the kid mm-hmm. but but it starts way before just getting the thing done. So um, then we need to start getting the thing done. Now, when we start getting the thing done, I talked about planning before, and they have to sort of visually and auditorily like plan it in their mind, like imagine, use their imagination. I'm not saying this in a cheesy way. I'm saying literally imagine in their mind, envision, talk about, talk to themselves about and this is part of executive function too, what will it look like when I'm done? What will it feel like? What will the process be like? Like that's planning. And who thinks, oh, I'm going to plan to clean my closet. We don't think about the process, but we go through planning all the time in our mind. They have to th- think it through and think, oh, what what should I do first? Where might I start? They don't have to think it through totally, but there has to be some semblance of them envisioning this so that, so that they can remove the resistance now. Mm-hmm. Why are they resisting? resistant because I always talk about concrete and ambiguous. Why are they resistant? Because there's ambiguity as to what it means to clean the closet. All they know is it's going to be a massive annoying job. Mm -hmm. They don't know where it starts. They don't know where it ends. They don't know how long it's going to take. They don't know how much you're going to um, bark at them. They don't know (laughs) what they, all they know is it's overwhelming. So the overwhelm comes from ambiguity How do you deal with the overwhelm of the ambiguity? You go from ambiguous or abstraction uh, to concrete. Mm -hmm. What does concrete mean? Concrete means that they actually have an idea of how long it will take, where to start, what it's going to look like, what kind of support they'll get, um, things like that. Mm, So, mm -hmm. um, how do you get it to be concrete? You do that through chunking. How do you chunk? How do you batch? You chunk or batch in two ways. You chunk by time or you chunk by task. I know I'm speaking a bit fast, so I will. I I love
1: your brain, Seth. No, I think this is so good.
0: So I will break this down for you people. So you chunk in two ways or you batch in two ways. You either batch by time or by task. That's it. There are no other options in the entire world. So what does that mean? Well, if you chunk by time, then you use one of my favorite tools, a little $5 timer. And people are so resistant to using timers, adults and kids. And it is one of the most amazing things, life-changing hacks. I'm not talking about a timer on your telephone. Why not? Dr. Robin, do you know why I don't like timers on telephones?
1: Possible distractions that yeah, can specifically help. That, <laughs> yeah,
0: because the thing that's helping you focus is filled with distractions. You're filled with so, distractions.
1: Absolutely. So just,
0: just go to the store and buy some $5 timers and, and have them not connected with the phone. Anyhow, and if you want to do by time, then you say, what I do is, again, it has to be not overwhelming. So I might say to a student, all right, we're going to work on, on this project. Um, do you, And I might give what's called a false choice, which means that there's really a million possibilities, but I'm only going to give them a couple. So I might say, cool, we're going to work on this closet. That's your goal today? Yeah, that's my goal today. Okay, cool, we're going to work on this closet. Do you want to work on it right now to get started for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, or 15 minutes? And even if they say five, it's a win, because once we get momentum going, I know in my mind that we're going to go more than five minutes. And I do tell kids this, parents and teachers and mentors, I do tell kids that I am teaching them to manipulate themselves. In mm. other words, if they can say, I can handle five minutes, they're going to manipulate themselves into getting the ball rolling, and they're going to surprise themselves by getting more done than what they thought. Mm. It might be six minutes. If, even if they do five, it's still a success. But sometimes it might be an hour. Anyhow, again, it's the story, it's the overwhelm, it's the abstraction, it's the ambiguity that, that is difficult, so we want to get it concrete. So we, we chunk by time. Can you do this for one minute, three minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, 60 minutes? You know, How can we chunk by time? The next thing is, is to chunk by task. So we can help them to chunk by task by saying, okay, we're going to do the closet today. Let's just start with the top shelf let's just start with the left side. Let's just start with the floor. Let's just start with shoes. Mm -hmm. Let's just start with things that we know are garbage. Let's just pull it all out first, whatever it is, but chunking it so that there's some ownership and you say, hey, do you want to just start with the floor? We'll just pull everything out. And if they say yes, we can start there. If they say, uh, that means no. (laughs) And if that means no, then I need to chunk it down more. Okay, can we just start with, um, one thing from the floor. So, or I might just pull it out. A lot of times when I'm going through backpacks with kids, um, I get their permission first. I say, is there anything personal in your backpack you don't want me to see? And if they say no, then I say, okay, let's get started. If they say yes, I say, we'll get rid of it. And then we're going to start. So you always have, they have to feel safe right. to take the, the, this risk with you. Mm. They have to know they're going to be respected. So anyhow, and then you start with, you know, if I'm doing the backpack, for example, I might um, I might pull it out and literally put it in their hand. A lot of times when we go through a folder, I'll pull all the papers out for them, and I will sit next to them putting paper a paper in their hand and saying, is that a yes, no, maybe? Mm-hmm. And what that means is that yes means they definitely need to keep the paper. It's either something that needs to be turned in or something that needs to be done or something that needs to be put back in the folder. A no is it can absolutely positively be recycled. And a maybe is I might need it. So and I'll put the next thing in their hand and the next thing. And it seems, exhaust, again, this is not quick and easy. But when I've done this process with a student multiply them, it, it gets Faster. Mm-hmm. They. There. It's not that I'm telling them. I'm showing them, and I'm walking them through the process. So I'm not saying clean your backpack, clean your uh, closet. I'm walking them through the process, and I'm doing what's called another term that you parents or teachers can look up. is called scaffolding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm. I'm. I'm making it. Easy. I'm making the goals chunked down. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. These are baby steps, they're micro steps, they're millimeters, but that is what matters in this game. Mm-hmm. So you ask me, how do we get from point A to point B? First is the healthy, secure attachment. Second is some buying and ownership. Third is start to chunk it down and walk them through the process of whatever the thing is. And the last thing I'm going to go with would be um, to be acknowledging them. We have to see them we have to notice every little thing i literally will compliment a kid for anything and i'm not i'm not making up BS. Compliment. No, they I'm know those things. They hate those things. Actual things, but I'm noticing small things. A lot of times we focus on small things they didn't do right. Mm. You didn't pick up. Oh, you picked up seventy things in your bedroom, but you left that one. You got an eighty-nine. Why didn't you get a ninety? Frustrating. You know. So we focus so much on micro things like that, but we don't do it on the other side enough. And I talk about the three to one rule with adults. Can we do three compliments to everyone perceived negative? And I'm talking genuine, legitimate things that you actually notice. But I will say to them, oh, cool, you just put your, uh, your name on the paper. Awesome. A lot of people forget to do that. And I don't wait for a response. I kind of look away. But I throw these pebbles of compliments at them constantly. And I cannot tell you people how that is one of my keys to success with them. And that is how I can keep them motivated. That's how I can help them feel good about themselves that I'm noticing. Mm. Hey, you just picked up your first thing off the closet. That's awesome. Yeah, whatever. No, seriously, you actually took action for the betterment of your life. That's cool. You know, and then let's move on. And hey, you just organized your whole backpack. Do you know what we just did? I told you, let's start for five minutes. And we just spent 45 minutes like overhauling everything that's so cool look at what you just did you got all your folders organized you got all the pockets organized you recycled all the stuff you don't need you lightened your load you know like i really reflect back to them um what I want them to notice in the, in the behaviors and the things and the choices that they're making that I want them to continue, we have to reflect it back to them. So that was a four-stage process.
1: <laughs> I loved it. I'll review
0: that one more time in terms of the big picture. The big picture was number one, healthy, secure attachment, connecting them, helping them feel seen, heard, understood, and the relationship. Number two, chunking, and you, how do you chunk? Two ways, by time and by task. Number three, uh, wait, did I forget something? Yeah, by and Ownership was number two. <laughs> then the chunking. I don't even have notes in front of me, so I have to memorize this stuff. The Then the chunking and batching in terms of time and task and making it feel not overwhelming and more concrete and less abstract. And then the final one, um, what was number four?
1: Uh, you want to praise them, but praise them real, yeah. uh, you know, with real <laughs> real <laughs> live stuff. Confidence. I'm Very just here to help you know. too. I mean, look, your brain is amazing. I love listening to all the things that you're saying, and it makes so much sense to me. And one of the things that came to mind while you were talking about scaffolding and about you know making sure that they have these skills is that after you wind up being being the scaffold that you're scaffolding with helping them undo their backpack and sorting it, that they sort of become their own scaffold, you know, the, because the, you can go back and say when they're getting ready to do their closet we did the backpack already. You already yep. did this. Like you already yep. know how to do this. And now they have something to lean back on instead of something that they've never done before, yep. which is the same skills that they can use to do many different things exactly. and eventually clean out the garage. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> it was so helpful. That, I love that.
0: And that ties into a concept called gradual release of responsibility. Are you familiar with that one?
1: Mm-hmm, right. You're stepping There's- back.
0: Yeah, gradual release of responsibility is uh, basically really similar to scaffolding. But yeah, um, when I'm working with a kid and I'm sitting there and I, you know, I'm I in my mind, I'm very conscious of what's going on. Um, And that's. I I guess, well, I'm not going to get into the conscious competence and unconscious competence thing, but, um, but with the gradual release of responsibility, I'm sitting there, I'm handing them the paper, the next one, the next one, the next one. And then I want to see if I don't hand them the next one, will they grab the next Mm -hmm. one on their own? And if they don't, then I might say to them, why am I doing this? Why don't you grab the next one? It'll feel better. And then they grab the next one. And, you know, I want to gradually get them to take on more and more responsibility. I will literally write in their planners for them. Like when I'm first getting to know them, I'll be like, hey, I'll take this on. What do you have to do? What do we need to put in here? And maybe I'll do it for them. But then over the course of a semester, I'm getting them more and more and more and more millimeter by millimeter to take on more of the responsibility so that they're becoming more independent. So there's a difference. Then this comes into, you know, enabling and doing too much for them and, um, and, uh, learned helplessness. But right. anyhow, we could go on to a whole another.
1: I know. I think we're going to have to have you on again because this is so interesting. So I know that some parents and teachers and coaches, and this is going back to something that we said in the beginning, they, maybe they don't know a whole ton about executive functioning, although they know a lot more now after listening to what you just said, but they can make some pretty big mistakes when it comes to trying to help kids who struggle with the executive functioning. I think we sort of, you know, skirted around some of those when you were saying like, you know, we're barking at them and telling them over and over again to do some of the, the things that they have to do. And they wind up, I mean, even if they're in their, their heart is in the right place, And they want to see these kids succeed. I don't doubt that. Inadvertently causing more harm than good. So what are some common mistakes that key adults, whether it's teachers or educators, parents, coaches, make in the lives of kids who have trouble with executive functioning?
0: Okay, so let's just talk about that, just the one thing about shaming kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I get started uh, talking about it, I want to say to the listeners that this is in no way, if it feels like an, a judgment of you, you and I and Dr. Robin, we were all raised with some forms of shame and dysfunction in our families and wackiness and some more than others. Is that true for you? Yes,
1: of course, of course.
0: Of course, because there's really no one who's human who hasn't grown up with some, uh, at least some bit of dysfunction and um, not the healthiest and most secure attachment as we grew up. So, um, so, I don't want people to walk away going, oh, no, I shame my kids. I don't. I hate that I do that. Oh, my God. If you do do that, whether you're a teacher or a mentor or a parent and, you know, so we don't even – aren't even conscious of it. So after this conversation, now you'll be conscious of it and now you can do something about it. And you'll probably keep doing it many, many, many times because it, you, you've habituated yourself to it because it's what you've learned and it takes time to change these. But these
1: we patterns. may actually know that we did it. Like it may come out of our mouth and we go, there it is. So that's actually that's progress. Okay
0: right hey, absolutely yeah yeah it's it is absolutely progress um so we have to notice it first um and then we can start growing with, with that so mm-hmm. um so yeah uh, you know don't beat yourself up over it is what mm-hmm. i'm saying and just learn from it but basically what happens is, is is that we convey a message to these kids and there are two possibilities Either they can't do what they're being asked to do or they won't do what we're asking them to do. When we have the story, the narrative in our mind uh, about executive function and about these struggles, and we, uh, we think this is a can't. This kid does not have the skills to plan to write this paper, to use their planner, to organize their backpack, to clean their room. Um, they are very resistant. They've got a lot of great excuses they've been working on for a long time, um, but they do not have the skills to override their own resistance to doing what needs to be done. If we think of it as a can't, and it's developmental, as you mentioned earlier, earlier and the brain is still developing and the, and we look at it like that, then we come at it in a very different way. And we're like, Hey dude, what's up? What do you need to get this done? Do you understand that this is important? And I'm not talking about lecturing Mm -hmm. because that, that is not effective either. Um, (laughs) but, but having a real, you know, Hey, we need to, and again, what I said earlier about how how high their plates are piled with stuff, we really are often asking them to do more than they can do. So it's a can't mm-hmm. in the most of the cases that I'm working with. It's a can't. Now, as they get more resistant and they get more cynical and they get more in the middle and high school, it can become more of a won't and and we can really get into some more serious consequences and things like that that we really need to be very aware of. But Then there's the other story, the shame story, the won't story. And when we think that it's just that the kid won't, it looks like this. Why are you being lazy? Mm -hmm. Why why can't you just motivate yourself? Why don't you just try harder? Why don't you care about school? Um, Why can't you just be more disciplined? And what even if we don't say those words, even if we do not say those words, listeners, we can convey those messages. Society can convey those messages. Educators can convey those messages. The system can convey those messages. Culture can convey those messages. And we individuals can convey those messages. And that means that we are assuming in that story that it's a matter of will. Mm. You willingly will not do what needs to be done. And and the kid hears that mm. and they think, oh, like, uh, this is actually my story. I i was, my story was that I was lazy and that I, I was a failure. Those were my two words, Dr. Robin. Was, I, was I was stupid. Lazy. I was oh, stupid. Really? Yes, yeah.
1: that was me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So my inner critic was you're lazy and you're a failure. And um, that's what I that's the story that I took on. Mm -hmm. And so that, that then what happens is, is that these kids feel like, oh, my gosh, I am. I'm just not motivated. I'm just stupid. Like you said, I'm just lazy. I'm just whatever. And then that inner critic is there and then it pierces into their heart Mm -hmm. and they are very sensitive. If you listeners can remember back to how it felt to be five or eight or 12 or 16, we were so sensitive. And when somebody was condescending towards us or when somebody shamed us or when somebody said something that felt bad, we felt it 10 or 20 or 30 times more deeply than we do now as adults when we've developed some thicker skin and different ways of work with the world. And when we've learned our own truth about ourselves at that age, it's so painful. So these kids often are feeling shamed and shame goes deep. It hurts. They may not say it. They may not act like it. They may act out in other ways. They may withdraw. Who knows? But it's there. They feel it. It's real. It impacts them. And we do not have to come at it with that story. Can we get them to do what they need to do by shaming them, or yelling at them, or or pushing them, or prodding them? Sure, we can probably get them to do it. For some kids, it might even get them to quote change their ways or see light. But that would more or less be kids who have decent executive function, anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but for most of the kids that I work with, they're sensitive, probably for all of the kids that I work with, and they feel it. And they know when an adult is saying something that where they're not feeling seen, and they're not feeling secure, and they're not feeling heard, and they're not feeling understood, and they don't feel like you get them. And it And it can cause a lot more problems. Than than the help, even if they do what we're asking them to do, uh, does it really change the behavior? What's going to change the behavior? Practice, compassion, practicing, going through, executing, walking through the process multiple times, you know, uh, mm-hmm. many, many, many times over a long period of time is what's going to change the brain. Right, um,
1: right, and so. it's a, it's important to note that. When we are saying these things or conveying these things, whether it's us or society or school or whatever, that that becomes their identity. It becomes their voice. Yes. Your voice becomes their voice. Yes. And so we wind up, yes, it pierces their heart and becomes part of them. And I, I when I'm speaking, I often talk about <clears throat> how important that statement of I am is because they wear it like a cloak, right? I am either something positive or I am stupid, that's who yes. you are. That's it's what you're te- That's who you're telling yourself you are. So when we're doing that, then it becomes, that becomes the thing that gets in our way. I mean, I am stupid, so why even try, right? I am, you know, I'm lazy. So nobody's expecting anything of me anyway. So I'll mm-hmm. just give up here. So yep. if if you have a child sitting in front of you who has struggled with executive functioning, And all this time, people have told him he isn't trying hard enough or he's a daydreamer or he needs to apply himself. And he's thinking to himself, I'm stupid, I'm lazy, I stink at this. What can the key adult, the parent, the teacher, the coach, say to this child now? I want you to imagine that the child's in front of you right now and we have this opportunity to now help them to understand that this is the story that he's been telling himself. It's a lie. The story that others have been telling him and it's untrue and it's actually an executive functioning issue. So in plain English, what would you say?
0: I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is nothing. The first thing I would say is, is that I want to hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. So I want to really hold space, um, an emotionally safe space for them to tell me, for me to really see them and not interrupt them. And really say, oh, why do you feel that way? Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. Like really have a real conversation, not a five-minute conversation, a real conversation where I'm honoring them and listening to them and holding space for them and and understanding them and seeing them and hearing them. And and so the first thing I would say is nothing. I would I would listen and listen 10 times more than I think I should and really try to get where they're coming from. So that's first. And then what I would say is part of what's before um, is you know genuine compliments, seeing them. These kids are so cool. I could write a list of a thousand things that's so cool about them. And like those type of things that when I'm driving home from work at night and I'm like thinking about one of my kids and I'm like, wow, that is so cool that he said that to that kid, mm-hmm. or that is so cool that she took that action, or you know, like, but it's the little things, and to reflect that back to them. Um, yeah, I hear you. I totally hear you. You know what I think? I think you're pretty awesome. Mm. I think it's really cool how you do this. I notice that you do this. I notice your effort in these ways. I notice that, you know, mm-hmm. and so to really reflect back, no BS, but what I really see that I really appreciate about them. So that they really and do that over and over. This is not a one-time thing, but it's like really a practice of seeing them. Um, so I guess that's part of what mm-hmm. I'd say. And then the third thing that I would say, so the first thing is I wouldn't say anything. The second thing I would say is reflecting back mm-hmm. the awesomeness and this human being with all this potential and all this greatness in front of me. Like really seeing that human being. And then the third thing that I would I would say is the um the practical stuff. Dude. Or or young lady or whatever. The, the the kid that I'm working with. Look, here's what's going on with the brain. Here's some science. And and what that does, that's so powerful, is it destigmatizes it in a way, if you don't say it, um if you don't say it in a stigmatizing way. But it destigmatizes it and scientificizes it. Is mm-hmm. that a word? I
1: like it. Let's start using it.
0: But it it depersonalizes it. I'm looking. I'm I'm grasping for words to express, Dr. Robin, the purpose of why I would do this. But it's to sort of take away, make it more. Uh, if we look at sort of meditation and, and sort of a Buddhist perspective of, it's more of a watcher perspective or mm-hmm. an, uh, right, a like objective. the metacognition.
1: Uh, to yeah, take a step away. Like, yes,
0: like w- like hey, this is what your brain does. This isn't you. You are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You you know, this, there is some science going on here. Your brain is developing. You're going to be okay. And not only are you going to be okay, you are okay. You're awesome. And look... And and it's really changing the story and the narrative in, yes. ter- in a more practical, scientific, logical, rational way. So mm-hmm. there's – and I think when, when I'm asking – when I'm holding space, that's more of an emotional holding space and really honoring their nervous system and allowing them to feel safe. And this is more of a logical, hey, look at what's going on logically here. You know, your brain's still developing. We have practical skills you need to learn. I'm here to help you with that. And – Yeah.
1: And when you're a key adult and you really see and hear a child and you're providing this alternative viewpoint that can then start whittling away at the story that they're telling and become the new story. Well, Seth sees me as focused. Seth said, that this yep. is how I showed uh, motivation this is how I showed completion of task and I am somebody who does this I had this moment with my son the other day that actually made me tear up where I was saying to him before I was leaving on a trip that uh I said you know I've really appreciated what you did there, you were, you showed that you were, you know, that you're so kind in this way that you really showed kindness to this person. And he looked at me and he goes, That's because I am kind. Mm. And I just had this moment because it was like the first time that really happened where I was like, He's internalized it. Mm. Like it's happened, it landed. He sees himself that way. That is so important for all of those kinds of character based skills and. And being, you know, that you're, you are this person who makes other people feel good, that he makes yourself feel good, that you can be proud of, and that we see as valuable and interesting, and and then can have a great, great impact on the world in all different ways. So I really appreciate talking about us as the key adult that can then change the narrative because we can. So at this point I'd love that top tip. What is the most important message that you want to send to us today about executive function and the children who are in need of help?
0: Um the, I mean this this might sound cheesy to some people but <laughs> love it's mm-hmm. it's all about love and love is all about healthy and secure attachment. Mm-hmm. Um Love these kids, accept these kids, work on yourself. I guess uh, in, in terms of the the more you do your own, d de- you know, we're so quick to send kids to therapists or to send kids to tutors or whatever. The more we do, go to our own therapists or support groups or read self development books or take classes or the more we work on ourselves and take care of our own bodies and our own minds and our own spirits and our, you know, the more we can. Um, uh, build a healthy, secure, uh, attached, loving relationship with them where they feel seen and mm. heard and known and understood. So my number one tip would be any do anything and everything you can do to build th- your relationship because that's the most important thing is the relationship. Mm. And what one of the biggest things you can do is your own self-development work. Mm. The hard looking at the skeletons in the closet, overcoming your fears, digging into the dirt, um, doing things that are, are, you know, working through your stuff that that we all have old stuff.
1: We do. We all have our stuff.
0: And there's no there. There's no place to get with it. But there is that when, when our kids see, even if we don't even talk about it, When they see us taking self-care, self-love actions, that is such a powerful um, message Mm -hmm. to them Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. how how to live in this world. And when we don't, that's a powerful message. So it would be to love them and love them through um, self-care and self-development.
1: Mm. What a gift you are to these kids and to us today to provide so many great, interesting information and tips and just how to talk about this because it's such an important topic that sort of remained, uh, I don't know why, but undercovers and we need to get it out there. So give us the resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you and all the things that you're offering?
0: Um, You can go to my website, which is my name, sethperler.com, S-E-T-H-P-E-R-L-E-R.com. And on the homepage, you can plop your name in there, and I send out a free uh, mini course about executive function on videos. And then I send a weekly update. On the homepage, I have a link to an article about executive function in 2E. On both of those articles, there's a downloadable PDF you can use. Um, But those are sort of a great place to start to get started. You can also go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. I put out a video every week. And what I try to do there is really solve someone's problem every week. So people email me from literally all over the world and ask me questions. And they'll say, I'm struggling with my kid with this or that. And I um, spend some time going in a deep dive to really break down how to deal with a- any number of situations so
1: so good
0: so many yes. um, hours of resources there yes. that'll really i don 't hold back or do anything weird. I literally tell you <laughs> all about um, the, how to how I would work with those problems
1: I loved it and, and you know i 've gone through a lot of the videos that you've provided through YouTube and through uh, your website, and they are so helpful and they do get right down to business. I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and for helping us to understand more about executive function. I love what you're, the heart of what you're saying about really seeing and knowing and hearing these children, understanding that they have so much to offer this world, and that if we can get out of our own way and we can help them step by step, that we're going to have kids who can truly change the world because they can then reach their potential. So thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity and again, for showing up in the world the way that you do and creating this. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others will learn about these outstanding solutions and all about executive function that Seth Perler provided today. What a wonderful resource we got, and I'd love for more people to know about it so that they can use it in their own homes and in their schools. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit DrRobinSilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, and you're getting the information you need. I know that you are probably hearing things today about executive function and maybe... Something popped in your head and you realize, this is what my child is having trouble with. This is what I need to talk to the school about. This is what I need to talk to that parent about. And this is exactly why we do this podcast. It's an awakening. We're realizing that there's great information out there and that we can take that information and we can help to improve the lives of our children. This knowledge is important. Don't bash yourself for not knowing about it before. Now is the time you've got the information you need. Remember, I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.